What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Today, we are talking about Season 3, Episode 15, Destiny. I'm excited to talk about it. Mike, how you doing? Keith, I'm super excited. Oh, wait. Yeah, I don't roll that in yet. I'm super no. excited. We, we, we're on like a string of great episodes. Plus, we're in my favorite time of year, which... Uh, viewers of the channel will know is Summer Games Showcase used to be E3. Now we're looking at video games, uh, new, far off stuff from the past that they're remastering and games I've never heard of before. But nonetheless, it's a great time. I've slept. I'm feeling good. Uh, today I was out on my own because Keith bailed and my brother bailed. Well, Keith didn't I bail. I did not bail. Yeah. I did not bail. You uh, The offer was made and I said, no. Yeah, he denied. And so I did my, <laughs> I did my, I did my, my GD self. Just mm-hmm. like uh, mm-hmm. watching this episode yesterday. But you know what, Keith? Our patrons mm. are there. Our patrons were there for me, and uh, they continue to be there for us. And we get to talk Star Trek today, so what a better... What, I can't ask for a better Monday. Tomorrow we've got all kinds of good indictment goodness, so we're gonna, we're recording a day early. It's just... We we, yeah, we don't, we don't want to miss a second. Mm-hmm. Gonna be fun. All right. Well, uh, yeah, no, super... Uh, lots of fun stuff. I actually did have a good time doing the, uh, doing the, the Xbox reveal. Yeah, live is fun, uh, man. But but I did you know this? I realized that between our shows and uh, my D and D thing and work and our bonus episodes, I'm re- I'm on like recording like nine times a week. That's mm-hmm. too many times. I'm, I realized watching the Tonys last night, uh, super fun, super cool. Uh, con- congrats! We we got a visit from Chancellor Jen on the Tonys. That was pretty cool. Well, the pre-show. Let's not give her too much credit. She got she's. It- it was a hundred percent on the Tonys. Come on now. It was cool. That was, was uh, fun. so that that it was it was such a fun. We should talk about it on Geekly. But mm-hmm. like, I was realized uh, of the people I saw on the screen, one of the people giving a speech had personally like screamed at me on the phone. One of the people in the in memoriam had sent me a cease and desist, and I'm like, I'm really in this business now. I felt I felt really uh, felt really honored. You know, you made it when you're hated by the best, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> the most successful people in the world they dislike me. Yeah, well, you know what? That's how Keith do, y'all. That's how Keith Actually, do. Actually, that's not necessary. I mean, it's true that both of those things happen, but, you know, anyway. Keith, you know uh, who likes you? Hmm, who's that? No, 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 that's not what we do it anymore. I should just wait for you. you keep, I keep trying to be a, to be an assistant, but I'm not helping. I'm not assisting. <laughs> uh, nurse, please put down the scalpel. <laughs> <laughs> you do your thing. All right. Well, you know, the thing that we're going to do now is we are going to talk about last week's episode, Mm, Viewer Ratings. Uh, Off the episode, we really enjoyed Heart of Stone. Uh, And uh, we got a lot of awesome feedback about it, starting with Joshua Cronin, who gave it a 90. Jason Moe came in at an 86. Uh, New viewer, YouTube viewer, gave it a 90. Thank you for, uh, for dropping in and giving us a rating uh, very much appreciate it. Delusions of Noon gave it an 85. JD gave it an 85 as well. Harry Pothead gave it a 95. Always welcome, regardless of uh, of, of any potheadedness. Uh, we will read your ranking. I don't think he gave me one for the uh, Keith, other you show. Had the, anyway. You had the best joke of maybe all of Keith last week when you said, if if potheads were excluded, this show would be called Keith watching Deep Space Nine all by himself. Yep, that's 100% true. And coming in once again with the super, super tip is our dear friend, Sans Deity, who says, 
This episode is a tour de force. It's telling that Avery Brooks gives the fourth best performance on it. I have gushed over Nana Visitor enough, so I'll just say that she Nana Visitors the hell out of Heart of Stone. Nuff said. Agreed. Renee Aubergenois and Aaron Eisenberg, may they both rest in peace, deliver two of their best performances of the entire show. I didn't Odo know that goes, he, had, he had passed away. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, that, Aaron is no longer with us. I didn't know uh, that. That makes I'm sure everybody knew that except me, but that, that makes, yeah, that makes yeah. my heart sad. No, it's terribly sad. Um, but his relationship with Deep Space Nine is one of the most heartwarming things you will ever... Uh, like Aaron's... Real life Aaron's relationship with, with Deep Space Nine is just like Nog's. Um, it's heartbreaking. Anyway, uh, when, when we finish this and we watch what we left behind, uh, the tremendous documentary they did about the show, we'll, we're oh, going to hear more from amazing. them about okay, that. Amazing. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. So uh, anyway, so Odo goes through an emotional journey in this episode that takes us with him. From business like Odo trying to solve an easy problem to panicked Odo, scared that he's losing the woman he loves, and then the suspicious, inquisitive Odo we all love who sees it's not Kira at all. Truly a powerhouse performance. And Aaron Eisenberg. I can't agree more that my admiration for his acting in this episode is enhanced by how he has to emote through the clunky prosthetics. I love Nog's courage and determination in the scene between him and Cisco, where Nog finally breaks down. It is my favorite Nog moment in my favorite Nog episode and my fav- second favorite episode of the entire season. There is one better, as impossible as that may sound. 103rd place in the IMDb ranking? No way. This cracks my top 30 easily and probably my top 15 of the first three seasons. 95.5. 501 self-sealing style bolts. Hell yes, they are self-sealing. Rene Aubergenois. This wow. brings the viewer rating uh, average to an 89. Pretty solid, although both of us came in above that. Uh, let me let me see who's the winner this week. Uh, looking it up. Uh, I didn't write him down, so you know what? We'll never know. We'll never know. Uh, <laughs> I should have written it down. Uh, but that leaves us with uh, only one more person to hear from about Heart of Stone, and that is Chancellor Jen, who I I texted mere seconds ago. On the uh, desk to, uh, of Chancellor Jen. Indeed. Okay. So she says, I, I had to remind her what episode it was. She's like, oh, wait, Heart of Stone? I didn't comment? Oh, crap. I didn't. One hundred Four exclamation points. I was obsessed and cried my eyes out. Renee's performance was chef kiss. And Nog and Dad scene was my favorite. I'm officially hooked. And I watched next week's episode even before Mike. Who am I? Oh, this warms the cockles of my poor dead heart. I know she came uh, home and I was like, oh my God, we can watch Deep Space Nine. The people will love that you watched it with me again because who's wants to look at this? And she said, I already did it already watched it and i said okay well pump the brakes uh let's do it for the content unbelievable uh i am this delights me to no end mm. uh that uh that we have truly converted jen uh to be a niner love it super fun all right i think it's finally time to talk about this week's episode destiny 
Season 3, Episode 15, which aired on February 13th, 1995. The top song, once again, mm-hmm. let's just uh, let's hear a little doop-a-doo. It's Creep, TLC's Creep. You got to creep, deep, deep. You see, I keep singing Shoop, and it's Creep. Hey, Jen. Come here for a second. Do you know the TLC song Creep? Creep, because I'm a creep. Yeah, something's Something like that. I don't. Right? I don't think any of that was right. I oh, I'm sure some of that was right. Aren't you thinking? So. I'm a bitch. I'm a lover. I'm a sinner. I'm a saint. Completely different song by different artist. Well, the Integlios, no help. (laughs) Wow, you know that Oscar-winning film about a marriage? I think we just got a little clip (laughs) of what a real marriage is like, kids. (laughs) Hilarious. It could be be worse. Well, if you you had tired of listening to the mysterious song that we still don't know what it sounds like, (laughs) you could go to the theaters and watch the classic Billy Madison. Oh, get in your uh, hole. As the top movie, which uh, all, all it took in 1995 was $6 million to be the top <laughs> movie this real. week. That can't it's be real. real. I'm telling you, it's real. Now and if you it's like know, $300 million is a flop. It, well, yeah. And, and interestingly, where the, the movies make so much more money, the TV ratings now are so much, so much worse because everything is spread out. So uh, well, I bet well, the 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 right. 20th place show you're going to tell us about would be the number one show on all of tel- television today. Keith, you want to know what was on TV? I do. I really do. All right, Keith. Well, let me tell you all about it. Uh, Coach, mm. color me Cupid, you know, because Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm, a whole mm-hmm. new ball game is a show. A whole new ball game. That's a show that's on TV. Brett's Beef. It was on ABC. A whole new ball game. New. New show. I guess they were trying something out. Okay. Uh, Murphy Brown, The Nanny, Dave's World, Chicago Hope, all new. Melrose Place Models, Inc., all new. Mm. Adam's Family Values is the name of the episode of Models, Inc., which is interesting. Okay, Keith, but here's here's what I wanted to talk about because... I'd, I'd love to talk about it, yes. All over on NBC, we had Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, uh, mm-hmm. Blossom, uh, both were new, and then they led into the 9 o'clock movie, which was a network debut. Of one of my, and I'm not being facetious here, favorite films. Because it is so quintessentially 90s that it can't be more 90s. I'm assuming it's a Polly Shore joint. <laughs> oh, man. If he was in this movie, ooh. Uh, it's a it's a throw-forward joke. Yeah, throw-forward inside joke to next week's Toys episode. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's funny. Or, or, yes, next week. Put yeah. that in your biodome and smoke it for next week. Uh, I'm talking <laughs> the the classic sequel. Sister Act Two, Back in the Habit, and Keith. Mm-hmm. I just want to. I just want to like. I'm gonna. I just want to pip and pop a couple of my favorite bits of of Sister oh, Act great. Two. Oh, great! So we can we, we'll be demonetized for this. So too. there's a whole sequence here where this character I love. Uh, mm-hmm. His name is Frank Hay. Uh, he is the whitest of white people, but mm-hmm. his whole thing is he's he likes to rap, Keith, because they're from they're in the hood, and he likes to rap. So so in Back in the Habit. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg's character, Dolores, says to him, or Sister, Sister, Sister Mary Clarence, if you will, says mm-hmm. to him, oh, well, if you can rap, let me hear you rap. And he goes, oh, you want to hear me rap? You want to hear me rap? 
and then spits this fire, Keith. He just spits this fire. Will you just rap for me, please? Oh, you want to hear Mary Had a Little Lamb, right? Uh -huh. Yeah, check it. Mary Had a Little Lamb. He was white as snow. Fleece, yo. Mary Had a Little Lamb. Fleece was white as snow. Yo, and everywhere that Mary went. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Didn't rap at all. Just said Mary Had a Little Lamb. Okay. So that's my favorite clip. Okay, oh, but then so it. then you're like, this movie's gonna stink, man. Nobody can sing, but then they're all just like screwing around in class, Keith, and then you hear this get popped out. If you wanna be somebody, if you wanna go somewhere, you better wake up and pay attention. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait. Yeah. And you're okay. like, okay, so it's not just gonna be like all the funny nuns singing. We're gonna get like actual some actual mm -hmm, jams. Mm -hmm. And then in the rousing conclusion, when mm -hmm. the actor whose name I've forgotten goes and, and I mean, Lauren Hill's in this movie. I haven't even played her because forget Lauren Hill. If, if, if we had, Mary had a little lamb. There's this kid who sings, oh, happy day. And I, I'll save you that. Uh, but he does, he sings a whistle tone in here. It was the first time in my life I'd heard a, a man do a, a falsetto whistle tone. And oh, to this day, yeah. it blows my mind. Let's just take a little, a little, a little listen. Mm -hmm. like you when you didn't sleep because you were grouchy but i think i <laughs> the the you oh, oh god so that's what was on tv oh okay so here's what i need you to do mike <laughs> do you have your wallet handy no i don't think i do okay license because, that uh no no uh be, because because you have now just de demonetized the crap out of this episode no. so 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 we based on we pipped and popped it doesn't work that That's way. That's how it works. You can pick pop. I watch. I see them get demonetized yeah. in real time. So they could. Uh, they couldn't demonetize that uh, that stream yesterday fast enough. I yeah. I we forgot are, to we turn are, off monetization. You can't. No, we are hundred percent. So based on the average episode of this show, what do I owe us? Uh, so uh, our average revenue is about sixty-two cents. So I need you to mail me my thirty-one cents that you just right. cost me. All right. <laughs> You owe me thirty-one cents. Okay, where the heck were we? That was that really was a did. lot. We really built a business. <laughs> yeah, you know what they say on, on Shark Tank? Like, if you've been trying for six months and you're not profitable, it's a hobby, not a business. We had a a, a long time. One of the our &M hobby. One of our viewers was watching the live stream yesterday and left us a super tip, which we ask for every week. We ask for a super tip. But Keith and I are so used to making so little money that when someone actually gives us a tip, Keith didn't know how to handle it. So he's like, no, no, take it back. <laughs> I know, I felt guilty. Like Jason just dropped us like a huge tip. And I'm like, wait, I don't deserve this. <laughs> it's like going to sit in bun. You give him a tip. I'm and like, like, take no, it back. I feel weird. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. What else are we doing? What's happening? Okay. Oh geez. All right. Uh, so. Uh, all right, now let's talk about what Voyager was doing mm, smart. this very day. They were airing the episode "The Cloud," mm. uh, which, if I vaguely remember, was a was an interesting episode. Uh, but 
in if we zoom out to the real world, we all have we- real world problems. We all have real stuff in our lives. Uh, and so we check the weekly world news headline. And this week it is Statue of Virgin Mary walks. She tells hundreds that the end of the world is near. Apparently she doesn't just walk, she talks. Well, it's about time, you know, she's used to so many people carrying her. It's about time she, she gets on her own feet and gets somewhere her, her damn self. That's that's right. It's uh, up by her own bootstraps. Keith, you know, is... before you ask, okay, this Boot... is a sign that Christ will return soon, says Bible experts, okay? Okay. So well, that was, that was uh, 28 years ago. Uh, TikTok. All right, so this episode was directed by Les Landau, who last directed Second Skin. And it is written by David S. Cohen and Martin A. Weiner, both of whom, this is their only Trek, and uh, it's Weiner's only IMDb credit. This was a spec idea sold to the show Mm. and subsequently rewritten. We're going to talk more about that later, but we're going to do that in a segment we call... Now, Keith, waste your time with Trivial Trivia. Okay, here in our Trivial Trivia, uh, there's some fun stuff here, and then we got a gem of information from our buddy JD. I'm going to save that for the last of Trivial Trivia. But first off, Tracy Scroggins uh, would walk around the Paramount lot in full Cardassian makeup. Uh, while during the filming of this, scaring children so much that security called and said, could y'all do something about keeping your aliens contained over there? Okay. Uh, hilarious. The comet we see here is an actual model built by Tony Meininger and not a CG, uh, not, not computer generated. Interesting. Uh, the relay station we see is a reuse of the Armagosa Observatory model from Star Trek Generations. They basically just hacked off the extensions and repainted it um, because, again, it's a physical model. And so they're like, hey, we don't need it for Generations anymore. Let's just hack it up and use it again. Um, It's really cool to see how they do the practical effects. We're going to get into that a little bit later. They, uh, They bought this spec script from Cohen and Weiner for season two. Uh, but ended up not using it until season three, and it, of course, featured an uncredited rewrite from Rene Echevarria, um, which basically they bought the idea of a prophecy from that, you know, through the through the prophets and how it interacts with the station. But the prophecy was a good one in the spec script, and then they eventually adapted it into this one. I think they did a good job of it. And lastly, thank you for emailing me, JD. Who says? So in case you and Mike haven't watched the next episode of Deep Space Nine, here it is. We're about to do it. Something I bet you would enjoy is that this episode actually has the Playmates figures in the episode. Easter egg? When Cisco and Kira take the shuttle out, the studio model, they used action figures in the seats of the model. So show the picture. This is being auctioned off. Uh... Right there, you can actually see the filming model of this of the shuttle. If you look inside, it's oh, yeah. the Playmates figures inside the shuttle, and we see it in the episode. That's awesome. As a as a miniature, and that model is phenomenal. I want it so bad. Oh, they never made. Can you that. zoom into uh-huh. one of them. Yeah, I can, Keith. I, yeah, I, I'd be happy to do so. As soon as zoom I, into one of those, because I, un- I, I ungroup them and then I pick yeah, you one. Gotta, I it, go like this. I mean. The level of detail 
and like beauty of that model they used and built for this is incredible. I, I cannot afford to purchase it, but I sure as hell would love to. Show, per- show one of the other ones where you can see the, see the, uh, the figure in it. We'll do it live! So oh, that's there it is. Amazing. That's the that is the Playmates Kira figure in the model uh, when they shot it. That's How so crazy cool. And they, it's the lighting looks cool in there too. Yeah, the, it's it's lit inside, um, and uh, so it actually has like a VGA port in the back, which is how they powered the lights inside. Cool. Look, uh, look at Ben, man. So cool. But that's the actual model they built for the show. It looks phenomenal. Yeah, big fan. I want that. And we only see it for like a split second in the episode. And somebody did what we always love, the distressing of the model and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's it's really fantastic. So thanks, JD, for sending that along. Uh I really, really want that. But I'm 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 just about twelve thousand dollars short of the twelve oh, thousand dollar esti- estimation of the actual shooting model. So Oh well, we gave it a try. Oh well. But uh you know who what'll what'll get us, you know, just a little bit closer to that twelve thousand dollar deficit I have, and that is our patrons who are supporting the show at patreon.com slash K and M, uh, who are helping to produce this show, and we profoundly appreciate all of their contributions, even if we have imposter syndrome about receiving them. Mike, who's doing it and what are they getting? Bryant Kimball Beersock. Wyatt. Eldridge, Casey Clark, Jason Moe, double thanks to Jason, Bren jo- oh my god, so much coffee, <laughs> I'm going to actually explode, Jen just brought me more coffee, Jason Moe, Bren Joshua, Andrew Hayes, Jorge Novoa, from way back, Jorge, and the Mysterious, who wrote an amazing, actually, she wrote an amazing comment on our Patreon page about this episode, uh, or episode a couple, but anyway, Thanks for being a part of the team, man. Worf's boot shivs, the joke that ju- just keeps on giving. Charles Babbage, Richard Coleman, so glad to see you, my friend. CRM Productions, Nikolay Ivanovich Lobachevsky, thank you for your seed delusions. <laughs> oh, God, Jesus. <laughs> no. What just, thank God he doesn't listen to this. Ah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> You this know, episode is streaming on OnlyFans. We've done hundreds of hours of content, and that might be the, the grossest, grossest thing, thing I've ever said. And and let me tell you, uh, the nom- it, it is an honor just to be nominated, because Lord Ooh. knows, Mike has said a lot of gross things. Oh, Jen, I just, I just thanked Keith's dad for his seed. Oh, my God. <laughs> Okay, I'm not cutting it, so. No, 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 no. You have to sit there and like think about that. Hey, you know what? As funny as that was, I, I don't want to. I don't want to leave anybody out. JD makes Colin Dagan, Chris <laughs> they Mitchell, probably want to Pat, be left and Joshua out now. Cronin. You can join the team. You get so much good stuff. Do you want me to just make a mo- mockery of your name? I can do it. I'd be happy to. Patreon.com/slash K and M, where all good things go to die. Yes, in, and of course now I'm like I'm not listening to you. I want to go. I want to read all of uh, the mysterious Ant's comments on it's really good on Patreon. All right, I'm gonna have to get into that later because we have to introduce our guest stars this week, including Tracy Scoggins as Galora Rajal, Wendy Robbie as Ulani Baylor, Eric Avari as Yarka, and Jessica Hendra as Dejar. 
And uh, now I think it is time to hop into the screening room. What do you say, Mike? Keith, I think it's time somebody gets us the heck out of here. Okay, so we begin Destiny in uh, our teaser, where a team of Cardassian scientists are arriving to help set up a relay station on the other side of the wormhole, which will allow communication through the wormhole for the first time. Uh, kind of important, although I'm, I, I was a little bit confused about that because they have been able to send distress signals from the other side of the wormhole and get rescued before, have they not? I thought they were sending those like rescue probes through. Sending a probe through the wormhole. Yeah. All right. That, that's that, that going to take sense. a couple days the last time. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, thank you. You, you rescued it. Odo shows Cisco the quarters he set up for the Cardassians. Odo is nervous because the peace treaty is still pretty new, which is great. We know just tiny little bits of serialization where mm -hmm. stuff that happened before matters. Baril died for a reason. Mm -hmm. uh, so we can uh, flavor this episode. Cisco wants the Cardassians to be seen and embraced uh, on the station. Get used to it, folks. But also, Odo, maybe, uh, maybe follow him by a couple of security guards. Dax comes in and says, I'm not sure their design is going to work. Then Quark comes in with Kanar for each of them. And he already knows they're coming and who they are, despite the whole thing being a secret. Because he's Quark. He's got good intelligence. He's excited because there will soon be a permanent Cardassian presence on the station and he can make money from them. Uh, and of course, we get the two great uh, uh, Ferengi proverbs. Do you remember what they are, Mike? Uh, war is good for business. Mm -hmm. And uh, leftover yamak sauce. Yamak sauce is better the next day. Uh, yes, exactly. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, he's uh, yeah, so he's very proud of his supply of canard, which he's stuck around this whole time. But of course, Dax discovers that it's gone bad. Ha! Later, a Vedic by the name of Yarka comes in to talk to Cisco with a warning from the prophets: if you let the Cardassians on the station, they will lead to the destruction of us all. Uh oh, there is a problem. And that is the end of our teaser. And uh, Mike races through. Sorry, and, yeah. and the I took the, a the lot of screenshots who, this week. <laughs> he's, this, he's a screenshot maniac. Um, but the guy who plays uh, the the Vedic there, Yarka, um, I believe, if unless I'm mistaken, is uh, uh, Eric Avari. He he was on um, a very similar. He's always playing this kind of dude. He's always playing this kind of dude, but you uh he was on another um sci-fi show. I uh there are people screaming at the screen right now. Like how do you not remember that it's Also, I couldn't tell if he's doing a voice in this episode cuz it definitely there's like a voice vibe. He's uh, doing he's doing something. Doing a special voice? Yes. Uh well, he's got a ton of credits. Goodness gracious. Babylon 5, of yeah, course. Yeah, Babylon. Babylon 5, which, of course, 
Uh, there's a lot of overlap there between Babylon 5 and Deep Space 9. Uh, you know, whether they borrowed from each other, I don't know. Hard to say. There's maybe but some they're arguments both better be than, than Babylon 6. Okay, so in Act 1... <laughs> Uh, Vedic Yarka uh, explains that the arrival of the Cardassian scientists have been foretold in a prophecy. The Cardassians are three vipers, and, and when they peer through the temple gates, a sword of stars will appear in the heavens, and the temple will burn, and the gates will be cast open. He's afraid that they're going to destroy the celestial temple slash wormhole, and their relay station is them peering through the temple gates. Uh, interesting. Kira points out uh, that there's only two Cardassians coming, not three. So you got you've already got a hole in your uh, in your prophecy there. They try to convince him of the good news. Like it's great news to be able to communicate through the wormhole to no avail. We find out that everyone else, including the Bajoran leaders and the Kai herself, does not buy this prophecy. So he came here to talk to the emissary. Cisco, the emissary, of course, says, nope, not going to happen. He tells Odo to uh, keep an eye on this guy and his followers so they don't start any trouble, um, which is an interesting bit of a feint here. Because at this point in the episode, if you're watching the first time, you're thinking, oh, this guy's going to be another religious zealot who's going to cause trouble on the station. And uh, we, go, we go in a different direction. So... The confusion, though, yeah, we do. There's a, well, two things. One, I think the companion has a really cool insight about the writing of this episode in that <clears throat> initially they had written like a whole very poetic, lofty sort of uh, prophecy. And they were like, that just doesn't bring any dramatic tension because it's all beautiful, wonderful miracle stuff that's going to happen. So they went more right. Nostradamus it's and all made good it news, doom right? and gloom, which I thought was cool. But also where I was kind of, because we've sort of dealt with the fact that the Bajorans base their entire government and sort of cultural existence on a very religious type of scenario. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen the conflict with that before, especially when it comes down to Kira, who's trying to also, like, do things in a more military-based way here with Starfleet, and so that's... They're sort of well, she's odds. got a foot in both camps, yeah. which is really the interesting contradiction for her. Yeah, and, and we've but we've dealt with that. It's not a new concept, sure. and so right, 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 right. But here it's cool because I guess I just I just lumped all of the prophecies into one sort of like the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. The Bajoran. Oh no, here he goes again. Like it's the kid. The oh kid. My is, God, he keeps, he's obsessed yeah. with you. Um. So. Anyway, you know what? It is it is both a joy and a burden to be the Funkle. Yeah, that's funny. I'm wearing the shirt today. Um, Funkle, yeah. nice. Anyway, but here Kira is not on board with this prophecy just yet. She's so I guess like any other religion, there are maybe more fringe elements that. Of course. Yeah. So I think that was a, that was the wrinkle where I was like, okay, cool. That's a cool distinction. Well, and and I I think you know the, the Deep Space Nine's. You know, uh, depiction and exploration of religion or faith is kind of one of the main themes of the entire show. And we could spend hours picking apart how they're dealing with it. Um, but one of the things I think just offhand that they really do well is the complexities of it and, and how and how we really have we have religion being used for power and like hardline, you know, uh, uh, 
you know, manipulation like like wind does. You have the more progressive, like, eh, it's metaphor, but we're trying to be like Beryl was. You have this guy who's a deeply, deeply believes in the mythology of it. And, and and there's, it's just, it's it can't be boiled down to like one single thing. And I think that's really fascinating. Keith, this is a, this is a great one. So I, I'm not picking up. So I got a text from my nephew, a reminder, he's six. And mm-hmm. it says, now, he, <laughs> he doesn't uh, write, read or write so well just yet. So I, I imagine, six. yeah, I imagine he's, you know, trying to use uh-huh. Siri. So I'm trying to get what his message is mm-hmm, through it. Mm-hmm. And it says, uh, and winder me, when me call you, YP7 butthole. So <laughs> I'm guessing it says, answer me when I call you, you butthole. But you butthole. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had trouble going through the wormhole. Uh, or the or the butthole. Yeah. Had, the bu- had, we uh, lost something in Keith, the There's butthole. an ancient Bajoran prophecy that says uh, he's going to call 15 more times. Great, great. Okay. <laughs> huh. Hilarious. Uh, where were we? Um, okay. So uh, later, the two female Cardassian scientists arrive, Ulani and Galora, and they seem way friendlier than any of the Cardassians we've met thus far. They commiserate with Sisko and Kira about the pressure they're both under after the peace treaty. Um, both the Cardassian government and the Federation really want this to go well. Mm-hmm. Sisko shows them to their quarters. They head to the wardroom later and they talk through their plan. They're going to put a relay on the other side of the wormhole. And uh, Starfleet tried it already, but it failed. And O'Brien's a little salty uh, because he's the one who tried and failed before. Cisco announces then that he'll show them to their quarters again. Uh, it's a weirdly repeated beat. I guess the idea there is they're trying to show that they already know how to navigate the station. Yeah, because um, they worked there before, right? They might have been there before, but also they're like smart scientist people. But um, it is weird that he would say that twice and not really explain it. Uh, so uh, then Ulani announces... Uh, we've got a third colleague coming. And Kira immediately picks up on mm-hmm. the idea, now there are three Vipers, just like in the prophecy. So we said to act, we head to Act 2, where Odo tells Sisko that the Vedic uh, got thrown out of the Vedic Assembly because he protested the peace treaty too hard. Um, so that's an interesting wrinkle. He was very much against the peace treaty. Odo points out that uh, Sisko might be quickly dismissing the Bajoran spiritual prophecy because he's uncomfortable with being the emissary. Uh, Very intuitive of Odo. I mean, I I guess it's not necessarily news that uh, Sisko is uncomfortable with this role, but it is interesting to see that it's Odo being the one saying like, hey, you know, you're kind of dismissing this whole thing a little fast, and I think you might have a bias here. Well, yeah, he's sort of become, like, not just a good detective, but last episode and a couple episodes ago, they've made they made a comment on him being astute. He has a high emotional quotient when it comes to humans, too, because he spent so much time observing them in that in that light. And so I think this yeah. is a, another good highlight of that. Well, and, I, and that's one of the developments of Odo. Um, you know, whether it's it's him developing or our, our understanding of him developing, but his... Um, 
intuitiveness and being able to understand other people's emotions is really, really strong. Mm -hmm. And now we know he also has very strong emotions, despite the fact that he works very hard to hide them. Um, that he's probably the most emotional character on the show, uh, which is really interesting. Anyway, uh, oh, no, later... Oh, so emotional, baby. Well, Emo Odo. That's right. Uh, Great so, Photoshop. Uh, amazing. We, we, we should ha always have that locked and loaded. Uh, later, the Vedic tries to make his case with Kira. She points out that Cisco is my boss. And uh, I try to keep the commander and emissary parts of him separate. And he says, you've got to convince him to shut this down. And if you don't, you're abandoning your faith. Uh, yikes. But it's, it is... This didn't you know, ring true because it's so seldom that religion uh, asks complete carte blanche of you, Keith, but yet offers you none in return. Never happens, you know? Oh, just never. No, that's, that's not ever going to happen. Anyway, uh, Dax and O'Brien later chat with the two scientists about Cardassian literature. Then, the third lady, Dejar, shows up. They don't seem to like each other. We get a good Yamak sauce reference. Good throwback. O'Brien. Uh, the first... <laughs> yeah, he's not having it. The first two scientists don't like Cardassian food. Um, and they point out, uh, as scientists, we get much better food. But the third one is not having it. She likes Cardassian food, and she doesn't like the fact that the other two don't like Cardassian food. Galore and O'Brien later work together for a while, and she is dismayed that some of the Cardassian tech on the station Keith, has been... Did you get been... the vibe that these two are like... They, you know, because they have, they have some good comedic beats together. They had a lot of synchronous... I, I, this is such a dated reference, but I'm going to say it. I kept thinking they're sort of... The Cardassian, Laverne and Shirley. Oh, I was thinking. I thought you were going to go Perfect Strangers, but uh, <laughs> cousin but yes. cousin Larry Appleton. Yes, uh, uh, Barky, Turner Bal and Hooch, Balky and yes. <laughs> Keith, did you know that Perfect Strangers is a spinoff? Ha had a spinoff. You know what show spun off from Perfect Strangers? Oh wait, it's it's. Uh... Wait, wait. Was uh, it's isn't it Family Matters? It is. Harriet Winslow the was the, Harriet Winslow, the mom, was the elevator operator of that department store. I see. <laughs> well done. Trivial trivia, indeed. Uh, all right. Anyway, so uh, where are we? Oh yes. The so Galore and O'Brien are bickering um, because uh, they pulled out a bunch of the Cardassian tech on the station uh, to put in secondary backups. And she's pissed, and she thinks you guys are wusses for having backups upon backups. Wait, so if if I stay with my Laverne and Shirley, that makes O'Brien squiggy. I, you know, I've never saw Laverne and Shirley. Great, it's a great show. Which okay. was it was well, a spinoff, I believe, of Happy Days. Okay, I think both Rob no, Marshall I, joints, though, for sure. Okay, that I'm makes sorry. Sense. I'm, I'm, yeah, that I'm combining universes here, and it's not worth it. Oh my! Mike's the, the the multiverse in Mike's head. Like I can't even imagine. That's just very sad. So on the defined, they head into the wormhole and to the gamma quadrant. They immediately get an alarm and discover there's a rogue comet zooming past, and it's got a really bright tail. And Kira immediately calls it the Sword of Stars. Um. So. Both of Act 1 and Act 2 end with Kira realizing bits of the prophecy are being fulfilled. 
Um, but it's a, you know, it's funny because go back to the the comment for a second. Because it's a, it's crazy. Thing, that's an actual model. Yeah. It looks. I mean, it looks terrific, but it's just like they had to build a model for that. Crazy. Yeah. No. yeah. So in Act 3, Part 2 of the prophecy is now coming true. Kira tries to play it cool, but the comet is going to go close to the wormhole, but not too close. Going to be fine. You know, don't worry about it yet. Naturally, Sisko privately dresses Kira down for bringing up the prophecy, especially in front of the Cardassians. Keith, this is the new set piece. This is the new room. Well, it's the old room, but they had a couple of wild walls, meaning the uh, movable walls, and they can reconfigure it to look like different bunks as opposed to the same bunk set over and over again. There you go. Uh, yeah. TV production. Fly the wall out. Put something new in. You know an episode is middling at best when the companion, the best they can come up with is, eh, there is a bunk set. I don't think this episode's middling. No, no, I, you're right. In fact, I was feeling that way until the exact midway point. At the midway point, things turned around for me. But up until then, I was like, eh, it felt like a pretty rote plot. But Yeah, well, we're going to get somewhere. So uh, he asks Kira, do you believe the prophecy is true? And she says, well, we're three for three at this point. And she admits that she genuinely believes that Cisco is the emissary, um, which I don't think she's admitted before. And she says it's hard work. It's hard to work with somebody who is a religious icon. So yes, this was important for me because I had kind of because that the emissary stuff happened with Kai Ubaka early on. Ubaka, Chewbacca, Chewbacca. Kyle Chewbacca, Kyle, Kyle Chewbacca. Uh, Your pie. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> Keith. That is your worst. <laughs> it's funny for a guy who has a fair amount of impressions. Chewbacca is not one of them. Oof, woof! <laughs> uh, <laughs> my God, I can't wait to cut woof! that out. <laughs> so, I what was her name? Kai Ubaka. Ubaka. Uh, Upaka. Ubaka. Opaka. Opaka. Whatever. That was. You know what? For Mike, that was pretty close. For Mike, that's a win. Uh, we're going to get so many comments about I my had, Chewie. Oh, God. Remember when I said Uhura? Holy crap. Um, <laughs> so I had forgotten that the emissary was a religious interpretive, an interpretive religious position. I just, yeah. I replaced it in my head as we've gone along. At, he's just sort of a, uh, a mediary between the No, and no. Starfleet. He's like, he's, he's yeah. like, he's like actual. Spiritual. So yeah, that cover that that that, and this is a great scene for it because that does carry a lot of weight and stress. But apparent, but also, it's like someone saying, "Actually, I have a great analogy." So to this day, so I, me, Keith, and I have talked about this at nauseum. It's not important, but I was raised, I was baptized and raised Catholic, in a Catholic family. We were lapsed sure. at best, but regardless, to this day, whenever religion or our spirituality comes up in general conversation, and I, I'm basically a you know a uh, agnostic at best but my mom will say no you were baptized you're a catholic when someone when someone just uh, when attributes a religion to you that you do right. not uh, associate with or do not uh, what's the word identify with it is a, a weird feeling and i can only imagine the pressure and the oddness he feels because i don't want to disrespect you as he says to kira but i don't buy any of this crap well and 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 
and I think the the analogy because like he's he's not the the emissary is a position that is it's not quite a deity but it's 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 like prophesized it's it is a spiritual thing it, it's not like a not like a priest right where you study for it and you, anybody can become it he's like a singular thing with some sort of spiritual meaning and power and whatever um it gets kind of muddy here too because Kira, I didn't guess I also had forgotten or not really in had not gotten really kind of into the weeds with it, but she explains that there's some science that backs up a lot of the the prophets and the way they communicate and speak and it is not it's not the same as our religion as we know it in our culture because it's that's very much just well the, I mean she acknowledges that there are alternate explanations for it. Or interpretations, and that you, yeah. you, you can you can sort of like interpret it this way, interpret it that way. Either way, it's kind of the same thing, uh, is what she's sort of getting at there. Which I think is a, uh, we'll talk more about it uh, when we get into it. Oh, she has right. It's it's right here. So yeah, she says, right. uh, he says, I don't see myself as a religious icon. I'm a Starfleet officer. If I'm going to call this off, I need a concrete, non-religious Starfleet way to do it. And she makes a really good point. This is what you're saying. The wormhole aliens exist outside of linear time. So they do know the future. It's entirely possible that they told a Bajoran Nostradamus what was going to happen 3,000 years ago. Um, and, for you know, for me, um, you know, I'm, I'm also, like, agnostic, uh, you know, and, and I would have a hard time sort of buying the, the sort of, I don't know, supernatural elements of it. But I completely ex- can believe in that there are things more powerful than than us who are able to understand things that we don't and might have the what would seem like magical powers um to us because we can't conceive of that of that concept just like a you know like a like an ant can't understand wi-fi it doesn't mean that wi-fi isn't scientifically based right but it would look like magic so totally makes sense and i think the way that they addressed that here is incredibly well done that is both respectful of the spiritual beliefs but also giving it a a, a, a scientific a starfleet explanation that passes the smell test um you know and talking about how deep space nine deals with religion and spirituality in a very complex and very i i think very smart and understandable way this is a big part of it and it actually, so I, I, we're spending a lot of time on it now but it, it, it Cisco's part in this actually becomes the most interesting. Like, I, of course, the, the religious. Yeah. You know what? What is interpretation? How can? How does? How could or should religion guide our decision making and our principles? A lot of that is dealt with here and and is excellent. And we're going to talk about it, but it's stuff that's been we that fiction and media has dealt with before. It's nothing new or revolutionary. Part of the human condition, yeah. But what I really appreciate about Cisco's experience here and about the plot we're about to engage in with him and the, and the dilemma he finds himself in and the wrestling he does is something I find, you know, funny, not, I, we always tend to get political, but I found our country, you know, I, one of the things that has been, as I was growing up and I was being educated, was touted as such a great part of our nationalism is its agnostic interaction with religion and how we are it is religion supposed to stay out of of separation of church and state it's enshrined in our in our founding documents and yet religion is being sort of infused in this new nationalism and that causes a lot of service i would imagine like if you're not a 
a, a stark Christian and you're running for office, you're going to re- you're or, or you're Muslim or uh, you have any sort of deviation and you pay a price for it politically. And it, it's so antithesis. It's such the antithesis of what I thought was all supposed to be about. I, it's a very—it's not the same, but it's in the similar universe as to well, what Cisco's it, dealing with. Here. It, we're 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 picking apart the difference between religion and spiritualism, religion and faith, politics and religion, politics and faith, and and how they're they're all like six different things, all interacting with each other, and it's and and that there's always going to be pushes and pulls, and every every one of those sort of has their own agenda, and they want more of this, you know, the, whether the the, the religion separate from the faith <laughs> trying mm-hmm. to establish more power within the politics and you know I was talking to, to to my neighbor about like like you said I mean the separation of church and state in this country and and he was like yeah but like you know if this you know clearly there is you know faith you know religion is a big part of our constitution of our faith look at you know look at you know pull out a dollar it says in God we trust to which I point out uh like our founding fathers our father, the founding fathers didn't do that. That was put in the 50s for politics. That has nothing to do. Our founding fathers would have been furious to have an in God we trust on our quarters. So, uh, like, again, constantly, the constant, you know, uh, wrestling with all of that. Um, you know, Deep Space Nine is the only Trek thing that really re- addresses any of that. Well, that's like. And I think it does in a beautiful way. You know, religion, neither, our beliefs, neither here nor there, Keith, really. Because. At the end of the day, and this episode deals with this this question straight on, if something that is ent- that is built upon, created from interpretations of a document, okay, or, a, a, or interpretations of a story that were put down into a document, but then are being treated as gospel, not as an interpretation, as a literal as a guideline. Literal that is, it, by its very definition, uh, conflicting. Well, and and so, which to get back to the scene here, uh, Cisco points out immediately uh, that, yeah, okay, the wormhole aliens may have told this guy what was going to happen, uh, but then it's all ancient text that has been translated and retranslated and changed hands and was written in metaphor to begin with. Uh, so that's also a really good point. And how do we even know? Like, yeah. because even if they said this is exactly what's going to happen, once you know three thousand years have gone by and it's been translated and it's metaphor, like who the hell knows what it means? Even if they did tell them, and it's again fascinating. I love this exploration here. Um, you know, and that there are no easy answers for any of it, and and certainly for Cisco here, he's on the the classic heroes journey where you find out the popper is is in line to be the king and you didn't even know or he's he's a god sort of yeah and it's like why what are you talking I can't wait about to get to it because i really think they they stick the landing so hard here with like well we'll, we'll get there that's it's so much fun anyway so he's of course trapped between himself as a starfleet officer and himself as the emissary that he doesn't necessarily even believe dax comes in and says we're ready to deploy the relay later O'Brien and Galore keep bickering about more tech differences. She says, in her experience, men don't have a head for the sciences. That's why on Cardassia, it is a female-dominated field. I love the gender reversal here. Um, 
which we wouldn't have even know we would not even have thought if it were three male scientists but because of our own cultural biases and we're like what What? that's weird and she explains it i i love it that's good use of sci-fi uh to draw to shine a light on our own uh biases here so on the other side of the wormhole they initiate the test kira looks nervous uh, and they shoot a beam through the wormhole, and something goes wrong. It opens the wormhole, and everything starts shaking. They turn it off, but all of the shaking and whatever gizmos that happened have caused the comet to change its direction. Mike grabs or, three of the worst screenshots sequentially ever taken. Well, well duh, we were well, shaking. You know, yeah. Shaky cam, shaky cam. <laughs> <laughs> They turn it off, but it's too late. The comet has changed its direction towards the wormhole, and the comet has a bunch of goo inside that is actually going to destroy the wormhole. So, uh-oh. So, in Act 4, and of course, another piece of the prophecy coming this true. Is a great photograph. Great photograph. Well well set. Well set. Oh, look at, speaking of set. Oh, my God. The geometry cool of this, and then they cut to this shot. And it's still great rule of thirds, just really well done. I mean, the of course the problem is, right, that table looks so good on screen, like amazing. But if you like put a piece of paper on it and tried to read it, it just, yeah. <laughs> just be shy. You'll never be able to There's no pay. paper. Yeah, but fair, fair, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. So uh the uh turns Actually, out it's worse that- if you have like a if you have a translucent hollow pad, that's gonna you're not gonna see anything on there. No, you get it, but it looks it looks amazing. Uh, so it turns out the Cardassians already knew of the danger of the, the the shaky whatever beam, but the Cardassian military made them hide it for propaganda reasons. Um, here we are with like Chernobyl in Russia, right? And the third angry scientist says, "We're probably all going to get replaced." They discuss ways to deal with the comet. They can't use a tractor beam because it'll break up and blow up the uh, the wormhole. But O'Brien has a plan to use a phaser to zap it. So uh, he goes to the Jeffrey's tomb alone with Galore. And Galore, all of a sudden, is super horny for O'Brien. And he's like, what's happening? She announces, it's okay, I'm quite fertile. And she's very confused that he's not into her. You know, as I go into the uh, the dating life, I think I'm going to lead with that. As far as I know, I'm not infertile. They are so good in this scene. In a in a in an episode that is not comedic, the two of them give like a masterclass in, oh my a, God. in a great comedic scene. And for my money, because it could it gets you get that fe- scary feeling because I'm all in on O'Brien and Keiko. Keiko, so sure, yeah. I was like, oh God, please don't ruin this for me. <laughs> And, um, uh, they avoid that. They're both very respectful. And then when the and when the when the the ghost is got, they they both re- act respectfully and whatnot. But my point I'm trying to make here is they achieve in this scene perfectly exactly what they fumbled in the Jake and Nog cultural differences scene, mm. where they tried to do that and make it funny and it was gross and it lost right. the, lost the plot the point they were trying to make here they make yeah. the same point right it's comedically funny but it's also respectful and we're able to see that we they both recognize the differences and they say okay we'll do better next time 
hundred percent. I I think that's great analysis of that. Um, yeah, and I and I uh, here's what I said. I, that then she's horrified to learn that he's married, and she asks why uh, he's been mean to her, uh, or, or, or why he's been leading her on. And he gives the most phenomenally honest take of "I haven't" I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. It, like, go back and just watch his saying "I haven't been leading you on." It is so honest mm-hmm. and so true. We see everything. Uh, it's such a good performance. The only thing that I wish they had, they had leaned on a little harder. I get they were going for the comedy there, but I really thought, and I think it's still kind of true. What what attracted her to him wasn't just his advances. Was that He's really good at his job, and he's really smart, and he's sure. really he's a really good engineer. And usually, that's only it's a it's a female dominated field where I'm from. So to see a man who's good at the things I like, and I'm good at, ooh, baby, I'm hot. Yeah, no, no, for sure, yeah. for sure. Uh, she took his overt irritability towards her as a signal that he wanted to go to Pound Town, uh, and they quite awkwardly realized they messed up on cultural differences. Hilarious. But you know, unfortunately, in the video game version, you know what I would have done, Keith. Yeah, you press X to bang. Press X to bang. <laughs> Back in Cisco's office, Dax finds Cisco reading up on Bajoran prophecies. Well, here's his face, Keith. Here's, here's his face that you like so is. much. I haven't. She is. Why are you leading me on? I took a lot of screenshots. You really did every single shot. Oh, we had so a head uh, scratcher for Cisco. So Cisco is reading up about the emissary, which is which obviously something has turned within him. He something says, has changed within me. There it is. Something is not the same. Happy Tony's everybody. You know, I'm I am tired of playing by the rules of someone else's game. But there's it's, no time for second chances. It's too late for second guessing. Oh, it's time know. to go back. I'm to... not a lyric guy. Okay. <laughs> Uh, wicked nerds out there. Whew, hope you enjoyed our performance of the and Act 1 Closer. Uh, so he says about the prophecies that just enough of them are true to make me wonder. He's starting to doubt, which is a fascinating turn three seasons in for him. It's not a ton of doubt, though, because Dax flips it real fast. Yes. She has a great well, line, though. She has a great line. Dax says simply, if you hadn't ever heard of the prophecy, what would you do? He said, I'd keep working, of course. And she says, you can either make your own decisions or have your decisions made by a prophecy. He turns off the monitor and says, let's do this. Uh, you, you know, and, and I I think that you know, we, we'll, we'll, we've talked about it and we'll keep talking about it, but like how well they're presenting both sides of this respectfully and logically. It's just a really, it's really well balanced the yin and yang of this situation here. Um, again, what I think Deep Space Nine does beautifully. So they head through the wormhole to zap the comet. They shoot it, but something goes terribly wrong on the Defiant. We get more sparks and smokes. Apparently, O'Brien's modifications didn't work, and they shot the comet with the regular phasers, not his modified phasers, of course, shattering the comet as opposed to vaporizing it. Uh-oh. Uh, good effects there. And the comet fragments are headed into the wormhole now, and they have no way to stop it. Uh-oh. Which takes us into Act 5, where Galore announces 
that the third scientist was, of course, a member of the Obsidian Order and sabotaged the Phaser Array because the Obsidian Order is against the peace treaty, whereas the government is for it. Um, great logical linear storytelling. The Obsidian Order is always a problem, always sneaking around, and they have a completely different agenda than the Cardassian government. Fascinating. Love it. Yeah. Cisco. What yeah, I'd love ahead. too, and, and I'm just going to sprinkle this in so I don't talk for 25 minutes at the end of the episode. What You're I so love good. about this is what Deep Space Nine does really well, better than a lot of other shows, is they're, they're not afraid to, to make points subtly without hammering you over the head with them. And what yeah. I love here is that they quietly, over three seasons, have been basically showing every time we see a Cardassian, we question their motives. We are waiting for the shoe to drop. We are assuming they are evil or have some sort of backhanded thing. Duplicitous, even duplicitous. agenda. And that's been proven correct 99% of the times, except for when Garrick saves us, but then we're not even sure why he did that or Dukat's on our side, but it's but it's it's tumultuous. But here, they build up our biases, right? And then they flip it, right? We're waiting for them to be the snake, but it's not. There's one. There's a bad egg, yeah, but at the same time, we're not all that way. And we haven't made the we're not all bad point yet, and here they make it, but they don't make it by just saying by having us get sh- what, given the what for. And better yet, they say this in the companion, but it's exactly what I thought when I was watching it. I think about the sciences. I think about NASA, the mm. Cold War, Russia versus America, black and white, good guys, bad guys, Rocky Four, Drago, Rocky, right? Right, right. But at NASA, we're not having. We go on living the space station together. We work on this stuff together. Sciences, we we're 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 trying to better mankind. We don't got time to worry about the lines drawn on a map. And that is what's happening here. Of course, they would sell her out because she's she's stopping progress for both Nate or both species. When now we're trying to work together, we don't see Cardassian humanoids here. We're we're trying to 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 well, further and, everybody and and to take it a step further. Inherent to what science is, it doesn't have an agenda. Science does not have a political agenda. Science does not have a religious agenda. It does not care about anything other than the truth. Science is an exploration to find the truth, you know, to get to a truthier truth at all times. It does not have any agenda. If it had an agenda, it wouldn't be science. Honey. Everybody, look me in the eyes. Find yeah. find a gen, yeah. Find a gen. Everybody find a gen. Uh, but like, in a by definition, too. the minute science has an agenda, in fact, you know, when you're talking about theories versus hypothesis, like, if if you are if you're trying to prove a theory, you are doing science wrong. Mm. If you're trying to prove a hypothesis, you are doing it wrong. A theory develops because it is the it the evidence points towards it, not you have a theory, and then you try to point the evidence towards it. Science, by definition, does not have an agenda, and I love how they're doing this. Uh, It's great. Anyway, I love how they handle science, too. I love how they handle science and how they handle religion. It's great. Anyway, uh, of course, they now have a problem. 
because the uh, the worm the the, uh, the comet fragments are filled with silithium, and it's leaking. They're afraid of it leaking into the wormhole and uh, collapsing it and causing trouble. We don't want that for some reason, but we know it's a problem. So they decide to put a warp bubble around the fragments to safely transport them through the wormhole. Uh, they can't move it, so we're going to ride with it. So Cisco is going to use a shuttle to do it. He's going to, I screwed this up. I'm doing it my darn self. And Kira says, I want to go along to help the emissary, not just the commander, which is interesting. They head into the wormhole with the three fragments in tow. And of course, their subspace field starts to fail a little bit. And they leak a little bit of selenium through the wormhole but they make their way through. Then, surprisingly, O'Brien gets a message through the wormhole after all, because it was the trail of selenium that connects the two sides and keeps it open just a little bit, make the relays work that they weren't able to do before. Kira realizes they misread the prophecy. The three vipers weren't the Cardassians, they were the three pieces of Comet. And and opening the gates is actually a good thing. The prophecy came true. Uh, Later, O'Brien talks it over with Gaylor. He says, Keiko is a lucky woman. He kisses, she kisses his cheek and exits. Again, handled with with dignity and respect. It was great. And uh, I realized... O'Brien gets a lot of attention from other engineering ladies because if you remember back with the uh, with the Bajoran assassin, like she also got into him. Like he's good at the engineering. Yeah, I think that that's not a bad. You know, sometimes you got like likes. It's not always opposites attract. Sometimes it's like goes to like. That's why Keith, the newest app you should check out is uh, mm. Pod Date. Pod Pod Date. Yeah, it's all or- podcast hosts. Oh, great. So we can uh, remotely just talk at each other for a very, very long time and achieve nothing? Oh, yeah, it depends. You can download later, you know what I'm saying? Ew. Okay, well, anyway, good good on O'Brien. Handled it well. And uh, the Vedic, who came in, apologizes for doubting Cisco. He says that perhaps the prophets want peace with the Cardassians after all. Then Cisco asks about another emissary prophecy. He asked me, what else can you tell me? Because he is starting to believe. And that is our episode. Uh, lots to talk about yet. And we're in a segment where we uh, we move along home to it. It is the... Oh, not your best, but you know. Uh, look, I'm, I'm waiting for... I'm just filling time for you to hit the damn button. <laughs> Two, three, four. Okay, here we are in the Alamoremis. Uh, you can contact us at all of our nonsense there below. I'm at Keith Varney. He's at MikeyI99 at all of the various nonsense. But it is time to talk about, quite literally, were there any wormholes in the plot? So yeah, I don't. I want to get tripped up on it, but I, I will say that for me, the the techno babble science of the actual plot, the actual machinations of the well, we 
we we leaked some doodad and the doodad and the slipstream of the doodad and the dedad. None of that really tracked at all, and that and that's probably because I wasn't really listening too hard or paying attention to it. Uh, I don't. I think mm. it was more of a means to an end. So I lost some of that, and I don't know that I totally believe that Cisco would truly would truly call off a diplomatic mission because of a prophecy but but, I but don't he f- didn't he didn't but i think but he was considering it at times well i guess he wasn't hard because well anyway that's that's really not my wormhole my wormhole is that is the the machinations of the plot seem a little of of the science of the of the comet and then the the, the transmission thing and how it worked because they like left the the energy left a little like like a little hole open in the wormhole which seems none of that really makes any sense to me so that's my wormhole I'm sticking to it keith yeah, actually, I, I didn't. Actually, all the science of it made sense to me, okay. actually. Um, I mean, yes, uh, there's a lot of sort of techno babble of it, right? But the, um, you know, the, wor- the wormhole opening and closing and, and having some sort of a something that connects the dots, like that actually, all that tracked to me. Mm-hmm. I, th- I, I also feel if- like they could have had... Uh, I guess it's hard. To, wormholes. I usually just I usually just rewrite the show a little bit. But I also thought that bad Cardassian or Obsidian Order Cardassian sort of could have been a little more interesting. Like it, rather than just have her be grumpy all the time and then oh she's the one who sabotaged. They maybe could have well, made but it like in- uh, on on having now seen it like five times, the seeds are planted mm-hmm. that that we don't necessarily know. She's because she's not just grumpy, right? She's grumpy in a very specific way. She's annoyed that they don't like Cardassian food. Right? She comes in later. It's like her the, the ways in which she are annoyed retroactively, if you think about it from the standpoint of like, oh, you're the Obsidian Order, you're you know, you're you're the Cardassian hardcore folks. And they don't like the scientists being progressive. They don't like the scientists being too chummy. They don't mm-hmm. like um so like we know something is up. It, it, and I, yeah, for for me that tracked weirdly. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have any wormholes, honestly. Like it, it really, um, it all I think tracked really neatly here, which is weird because we're dealing with all this like weird prophecy or whatever. But even like the breaking apart the pieces of the prophecy, it makes sense on both levels. Um, I don't know. I, I, I got nothing. I got nothing. Well, Keith, Mike, what was your best moment? I wanted to tell you that I just read a prophecy, an ancient podcast prophecy that says, hold on, let me give it the voice. Okay, here it is. Because Mike's energy has begun to slip, uh-huh. all of the segment orders we now must flip. Keith, I'm starting to fade, so why don't you go first? <laughs> Drink some of that coffee, buddy, because you, you've only been on the air for like five hours today. Ooh, boy. I got to get that Ubisoft coming up. Or, uh... <laughs> yeah, no. Comcast or Capcom? No, I, I don't care no. enough. Come on, buddy. Uh, yeah, all right. So my my best moment... I'm worried about you, man. <laughs> uh, well, I have a comedic one than a real one. Okay. Comedic one is... 100%. Uh, 100%. Is, is the... Is Miles's reaction to uh, to like you? You've been you've been putting me on. I th- just thought it was such a good, so well acted moment. I'm not that whole uh, scene. That whole scene. Col- is Colomini's performance stellar. Just 
so good. Um, it's so honest. It's just so honest. It was so so well done. Um, you know, but but for me, it's gonna be the uh, the scene in the uh, on the Defiant in the bunk room between Kira and Cisco, where you know they're. We see him wrestling with this whole problem, you know, being being a prophet, being whatever, and her saying, "Look, I believe that you are the emissary. I believe you are a spiritual being, you are a spiritual leader, but I understand that you don't. So here's an alternate explanation that also makes this, you know, important. That also makes this relevant. And I think her, her." Um, sort of empathy but also like understanding and really being able to see it from all those points of view and giving him that i I thought it was just a really just a really well-written scene really well-written character beats for both of them you know uh just i really liked it thought it was good yeah that's a great scene i'm gonna i'm gonna fall back to your comedic one i just thought that whole scene was so well written well performed in a non-comedic episode i mind you yeah uh, as i as i brought up and like i said it 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 makes the cultural point beat that they attempted a couple episodes ago better than that actual episode about that. So those are our best moments, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, then now it is time to hand out some stem bolts. (laughs) (laughs) The delay was worth it. Here are some stem bolts for you. All right, am I going first for this too, bud? Yeah, do it. All right. Um, so this episode is not one of the legendary earth-shaking episodes of Deep Space Nine, right? It's mm-hmm. not. It doesn't. You know, it's 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 not some. Okay. It's not. <laughs> it's not some crazy, uh, like character definer. It's not some battle. It's not some change. However, it is a really important bricklaying episode with the story of Cisco as the emissary right if you remember the pilot of deep space nine is called emissary right right the journey of Cisco's relationship with the bajorans and his place in bajoran spirituality his place in bajoran religion uh you know what is this going to play? How is this going to play out? He doesn't even believe it. He right. thinks it's, he's like, he, he comes in, as, it, this is nonsense. I, I don't know what you're talking about. This has got nothing to do with me. Um, he doesn't believe in the Bajoran religion. We don't know, necessarily think Cisco has any any spiritual beliefs whatsoever. And yet here he is thrust into this position. And because he is who he is and comes from where he comes from, turning him to believe in himself as the emissary it's turning a battleship right it's mm-hmm. going to take some time it's going to take a lot of jogs to sort of chip away at his doubt and 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 all of ours you know and and for me too right i'm coming into this as as i don't i don't have spiritual beliefs i don't believe i don't have religious beliefs and so for me to buy this both um to believe in him as this spiritual entity, but also to get on board with this for the show, for Deep Space Nine. It's actually really important for turning him and for turning me to get me on board with going into this sort of like spiritual 
angle that the show takes, um, just bricklaying and building a foundation that obviously we're going somewhere with this, right? And this is going to become increasingly important as time goes by. And so turning Cisco and turning Keith Varney, this was an important episode mm-hmm. to get me on board with this as as a as a way as a direction for the show. Um, I think it's a, I think it's tight. I think it's 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 well paced. It's well plotted. Um, you know, it's really mostly a story. We got the little comedic thing with O'Brien, which I thought was handled really well. Um, but it's it's like this. It's like not a lot happens, and yet a lot happens. It also, you know, it it continues the importance of the wormhole, where 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 things are changing that have consequences. Right? We talk about the uh, the peace treaty between the Bajorans and the Cardassians. Well, that happened a couple episodes ago. We are continuing that story. It's not so episodic. It's just a, just a tiny bit of serialization here. We now have a different ability with the wormhole. We're we're adding bricks in our story. You know, it's like we began this season by getting the Defiant. That's a brick. Leveling we're up. We're doing this, you know, we're, we're, we're leveling up. We're having consequences and the changes in our storytelling. Um, and so, you know, this is an episode where like, oh, I've got to go back. I can't wait to watch that one again because that one was like, woo, it blew me away. It's not that. Mm-hmm. But is it? In in our in our larger story, is this an important piece, an important brick being laid that just makes this in in a way that's different from a lot of the other treks and different from next gen for sure. The found Deep Space Nine slowly builds a foundation so that when we hit our peaks, right, it's not like we just shot up into the sky. We're climbing Everest. And this is an important piece of that. Um, and so I, I really think it's an important episode. Uh, I really enjoyed this episode. I think it holds up really well. I think um, it holds together really well. Performances are great. Um, you know, it's, again, it's not one of those legendary episodes. But for me, um, it's hard to rate because of that. Um, but I think I'm just going to give it an 89 because... Um, it's not like hair raising and a hair raising adventure that I can't wait to watch again. But damn, is it it is important and it is really well constructed. So eighty nine self sealing stem bolts for me. Yeah, my feelings have been remarkably cons- remark remarkably remarkably remarkably. Oof, Keith, it happened Oof. fast. Remarkably oh, consistent. He's crashing. He's crashing. Remarkably remark. <laughs> a different word. <laughs> My feelings have remained consistent since watching it through our discussion. And, you know, my main criticism, I think, falls in that we spend a lot of time asking the questions, setting the chess pieces up till almost exactly the halfway point before we start to... And, you know, my, my, my thought was, when it came to the religious spirituality quandary, are we going to give an answer or are we going to find a way to leave it open-ended and both sides it? And I think it is a little bit of both. It's a little bit of column a a little bit of column b which i applaud the episode for i think they used cisco as our surrogate here not just keith varney but just all for most of us in that same kind of place because it seems ill-advised in such a high stakes environment to rely solely on prophecy that can be interpreted in multiple ways to make decisions based upon that i thought they avoided some plot contrivances such as 
having that Vedic be the bad guy, trying to manipulate the situation in order to prove his prophecy. I thought, uh, or having the Cardassians at the end somehow finding a way to be bad all told. For me, it was less the having to grow spiritually like you did as a kid, but for me, it was the reminding me that this show is going to challenge, it's going to set me up and challenge my biases often and without warning. And just like we can change Quark's character here and there, and there can be some flip-flops, we could do that with entire species, right? We've been we've been led to believe the Cardassians are the bad people. Or the yep. bad, you know. So I thought that was great. I think that's a great concept because it's true. It's it's not just true in this universe, but it's true in everything. Complex. It's complex. Everything is complex. The action-y sequences were cool. The resolution I thought was really cool. But what I loved the most was the idea that, hey, you know what? In this, in science, we talk about competency competency porn all the time but in this in science when when the sciencey people are are trying to figure the stuff out we're working together we're a team they yeah. ca- they they pointed out that they called out their brethren so fast you know what i mean uh it was really really great uh, it was com- contemplative so like you said it's hard to be like oh can't wait let's watch it again off the charts also subtle nod to the two to the laverne and shirley because they were they were excellent in this episode. Yeah, they played it. You the whole time you're waiting. Oh, these they're wearing friendly masks, right? Like how are they? How are right, they right. being duplicitous? But they're not. And I, I just I love the faint there. I'm probably a little because the concepts though, and it's great. The it's really well done. But it's nothing that really sh- flipped me or had me really sitting there chewing. Love the con, like I said, I, I love it, but it's it's just not. I think I'm a little less high on it than you, because we end up sort of already where I was as far as just the way I feel about things. So anyway, I'm gonna say 87 stem bolts. So okay, still really not, high. Yeah, that's, that's not that far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's okay. So and and you need to go take a nap. Uh, but I, I I think what is fascinating about Deep Space Nine specifically is. Star Trek has set up so many times as a debate between science and religion. Mm. So, you know, science or religion. Is it science right or religion right? And Deep Space Nine is the explore, exploration of science and religion. Right. That maybe maybe there is room for them both. Maybe they are not mutually exclusive, which has always been, you know, yeah. the, my thought. And, and, and that has been my, my personal bias my whole life. Mm-hmm. Is that it's or not and, and Deep Space Nine is like, well, maybe it is and, maybe there's room for and, mm-hmm. and and I think that that is super fascinating and and incredibly complex, and I love it, and it's great, and I love it more as I get older, you know, because as I get older, there is maybe a little more room for for and than there has been yeah. in my life, mm-hmm. and and um, you know, maybe not religion, but maybe spirituality, maybe maybe things are 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 more complex even than i'm thinking anyway love it fascinating that's why we're watching deep space nine that's why i love this show there's room there's room room. and that's why i freaking love this show and it's not just there's room and what cisco shoes here is it's not just there's room it's i can let even if you can't make the leap you can find the room for a colleague you can have have, respect to have their thoughts their feelings even about you right yeah and you don't have to 
you don't have to interpret that. You don't have to act upon that. You don't have to use that as some sort of a judgment. And that's a difficult thing to do, right? Well, and it, it's about having an open mind, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. like, like I don't believe that, but I'm I have an open enough mind to like keep asking the question. Add a dot dot dot, and I think that is it's great. It's phenomenal. So, uh, what did the rest of the world think about this episode, Mike? Where do you think this ranked? Out of the 173 episodes of Deep Space Nine, where would you put this in the uh, the world's ranking? It's probably low, Keith. I would imagine it's in the... Because last week only made it to like 137. I'd say this ends up in like, like 141. This was the 95th out of 173. They gave it 74 self-sealing stem bolts, which still puts it in the bottom half of Deep Space Nine. I would not put this in the bottom half, but that's where we are. Uh, all right, so next week we'll be talking about the episode Profit Motive. Profit spelled like profit, like Bajoran profit, not money profit. So okay. who knows what's going to happen? I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, if, you, uh, if you're if you still here, please give this, this video a like. And if you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe. Please tell a friend. Yeah, for sure. uh, we want more eyeballs to go on this journey with us. You can check out our other shows. Look at my Star Trek toys, K&M Geekly, and Strange New Show. Keith and Mike, watch Strange New Worlds. Uh, as well as Mike, you know, basically on the hour reviewing video game trailers here on the YouTube uh, thank you so much for watching. You can join our patrons at patreon.com slash KNM. We'll be, uh, we'll be in your feeds on Friday with Strange New Worlds, on Sunday with Star Trek Toys, and Monday with KNM Geekly. You know what I wanted to figure out, Keith? Oh, no. Jokes aside, I want to find a way to get that live stream thing, like in a private video or something, to get to our Patreon page. Because all of the like episode watches we do... We're mm-hmm. going to do with animated series, TNG, the movies, whatever. We should do that and allow the patrons to come in on, on live and chat with us while we're doing Can it. Can you do a live? I could do probably a live stream. private and then just put the YouTube on there. So, Patreons, you can join us on OnlyFans, the only place I know that can do that. <laughs> get out. Let's get out of here. Come on. We'll be the fully closed yeah. episode review. Get me out of here. Till then, this is Ben. Keep the mic watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KM. <laughs>